Thanks for reading me. Okay, so um, we're just going to continue right along with Colossians as a series. And the way we left things last week, it was uh, there were two verses that I feel like I could do a month with uh, by themselves, but we can't because we're moving right along. Um, but just as a reminder what they were, First Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's a very meaningful text for me. And after the service, uh, several of you came up and shared with me various things that had impacted you from the text. Maybe not as much as what I said, but what God was saying to you as you were listening to the text in Colossians. And one of those people that came up to me was Lori and really was speaking specifically to this through something that she had read last week. And um, it impacted me enough that I felt that it was worth sharing um, to kind of bridge this text to where we're going today. So she's going to do that. Just a couple minutes um, that she's going to share that story with you. So go ahead. He said I could only have a couple minutes, so it's not going to be the full five hours. <laughs> Last Sunday I came, had something on my heart, and as Sean talked, it just became more and more apparent that I needed to share that with him. So I did. I waited till everybody got their chance with Sean, prayed for, talked to, whatever. I was the last person to talk to him, I think. But I waited till everybody had their moment with him and then got a chance to share what I had been feeling. I saw this story on the, not the news, on a program that we watch Sunday mornings. And it's about a story of Vietnam veterans. I don't know if you've heard this story, but they just put out a movie called The Last Full Measure. There's a lot of crying in it, and well, not in the movie, but about the movie. So it's like my kind of story. And in particular, this one veteran was being interviewed by the reporter and talking about the story, but this one individual, his name is William Pittsbarger, came in to a situation that this Charlie company was in, in the Vietnam War, where over 80% of their men were killed during this battle. He managed to save over 60, and they're trying to get his story told. And I'll ask you if you know what labor of love means. Have you heard that phrase before, labor of love? So I think not only this whole situation was a labor of love, but also the effort that the veterans put forth to get him the Medal of Honor that he deserved for the, his sacrifice. He was later killed. So the story is getting this movie made and all the stars that agreed to be in the movie, Ed Harris, William Hurt, Christopher Plummer, Peter Fonda, it was his last movie that he made before he died. And they screened the movie for the veterans and the stars and their, their families, whatever. And the director said that Peter Fonda came up to him afterwards, tears streaming down his face. He couldn't even speak. And the director shared that when they were talking to these veterans, these men would weep openly wherever they were, like in restaurants, hotel lobbies, on bases, what, they didn't care. It was just so meaningful to them. 
And I was thinking, he was sharing the story about the, the veteran was talking about how he was wounded in this battle. He's laying on the ground. He sees this helicopter come overhead, a guy coming down the rope towards him. And the interviewer says, what did you think? He said, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> so they, he pulled two dead soldiers on top of him to protect him, shield him, took off his black jacket, put it on him. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? They're going through the jungle trying to find people that are still alive and rescue them. He looks at the William, they call him Pitts, Pitts. I looked at him and he goes, why are you here? I looked back at him and he said, because you are. Yeah, you can drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I listen to that story, I don't know that there's uh, a sort of better metaphor for somebody being rescued from the power of darkness and transferred. I mean, he ended up surviving. Um, and when I was listening to that story and I was reflecting throughout this week on that specific story, something that really struck me, because this is what Christ says to us. I mean, that's what this is saying is, it's like, why are you here? What are you doing? And it's because you're here, because I'm here. It's because we're in the midst of brokenness and destruction and death and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, this God says, I'm here with you and for you, and I will die for you so you can experience life. So there was this question that I had, um, which is, who is this God that is so lovingly with us? It's not just that he's like hanging out. He's lovingly present with us. And I find in this text that, that Mike read for us today, uh, some people refer to Paul's words as a hymn. There's kind of a debate. Is it a song or not a song? It is some of the most theologically thick words that you could have. I mean, we have this tradition, especially within the Lutheran church, and we have it in our hymnals. This is one of the ways that we can understand who God is that we sing about him. So we have these really uh, thick and, and dense in the right way songs that describe God's character and his heart and the way that he meets us and he's with us. And Paul is doing the same thing, I think, in this text. And he's answering this question, who is this God that is so lovingly with us? Because remember, the Colossians are experiencing a lot of false teaching. So this is really a question that they need to have. Who is this God? Because other people are saying, well, this God is like this. Or the way that you can know him more is like this. And Paul sings this song, or he writes this song, this melody, this exposition on who this God is. And so you can find the text here um, on page 956. Um, and it's verse 15. And it starts to answer who this God is. And it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, um, when Paul is saying this, he's echoing Jesus' own words that we find in John's gospel. I'll read it for you. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Because this is, Jesus is teaching him, this is what it means to pray is to know the Father. The Father, we, we pray it every week, don't we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So there's this question. There's these people that are trying to distinguish who is God. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus says to him, said to him, 
Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? If I pause there, sometimes I feel like that. I feel like I've been with you all this time, and I still have questions. Like, it's a discouragement. And I don't think Jesus means it as a discouragement. Instead, he provides hope. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Paul is writing in the song, he is the image of the invisible God because many times as we journey through our faith and our walk, I know that I feel like sometimes it's hard to see God in the midst of things. That God's kind of invisible. And I struggle with that. And I wonder if we all at various points struggle with that. Yeah, there are moments where God seems clear. But there's also many moments where I'm like, I have no idea (laughs) And that's where that faith and that trust and that hope and that love comes in that we keep talking about each week. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, he actually speaks about this in a commentary, and I really love what he wrote, so I wanted to include it for you as we consider. He is the invi- image of the invisible God. Go ahead, Tom, you can put it up. He says, to say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in him the nature and being of God has been perfectly revealed, and in him, the invisible has been made visible. So the next thing I thought about, and Tom, you can put this up too, is in other words, if we desire to know who God is, we can, we can look to Christ. That's what he's saying. That's the Sean paraphrase. Is that if we want to know who God is, in the midst of what we're walking through, the clouds and the doldrums or the great moments, if we want to know who God is in this moment, we can look to Christ. Now, what does that look like in a practical way? Well, let's say that you're going through this difficult journey and you're trying to discern what God's going to say. Maybe it's relationally, maybe it's professionally, vocationally. Maybe it could just be like, I don't even know what today looks like. I think... It's important moments like this that we pause and we look to Christ. And how can we look to Christ? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are a really great place to start. And we start to unpack the character and the nature of Christ, his heart and his love. How does he deal with situations where he's suddenly thrust into positions that he doesn't even want to be in, or at least that we wouldn't want to be in, yet he's in the midst of it? And he doesn't run away, he doesn't walk away, he's there. The strength that we need to get through the day, we can find in Christ. The love that we're searching for, we can find in Christ. The hope that we're looking for, we can find in Christ. I mean, realistically speaking, and this is something that I think Paul is hitting on right here, I kind of just dove right in this morning, I'm just like, Because this is a really thick text of theology. I mean, people have debated, debated centuries over these things. There's creeds written about these very things. And Paul is saying, in the midst of all the noise, because remember, that's how we started this, right, Colossians? What is the noise that's in our lives? What are the questions that are in our lives? And how do we... Just put aside all the noise and find truth, the way of truth, and it's in Christ. And so he's saying, and I mean, if you think about this for a moment, this God that's mysterious, because God is mysterious. I've joked, I don't know how many times, if you question if God is mysterious, look at the Trinity. Does anybody here really understand the Trinity? 
No, I mean, it is mysterious by nature. But how many of you like a good mystery novel or a good, a good story that started, sort of develops over time? There's something about that that would just implicitly, we're like, I want to know more. And so here's this image of this invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So in it, he says, I am mysterious, invisible. But then as he's saying, I'm mysterious, he's saying, but I'm birthed in your midst so that you can know me. He's so intentional in his ways. Now, that doesn't mean that just because he's birthed in our midst that suddenly we're just going to have this massive revelation and understand everything about God and his ways and his nature in our lives, but it's a healthy starting place. And what do we find in that? It doesn't say, like, firstborn, like he, he came out of the womb at 35, right? Like his gestation period was just longer than an elephant. It's a firstborn baby. So the way that he manifests himself is invulnerability. And that says something to us, is that the way that we can know this invisible God is through vulnerability. It's as almost as if to say that the way that he's firstborn is to show us that we too can be vulnerable with him. And the way that we're going to know him is through our own vulnerability, our own walls coming down, our own willingness to admit to God, I don't understand you. That's a scary statement sometimes because we like to know, don't we? We like to have the answers. Or am I just speaking for myself? I like to know things. I like to have the answers. And it's only like when it comes to God and my kids do I realize how much I don't have answers. Right? It's a very humbling thing. So he says, in other words, if we desire, or I'm saying, in other words, if we desire to know who God is, we can look to Christ. He, he is mysterious, but he doesn't hide himself. And that should be a massive place of hope for us. He is mysterious, but he's not hiding. And in the midst of that, and this is something that I think Paul emphasizes over and over and over again, because people are questioning if he's first in all things. If you read this and you listen to it, you'll notice how many times Paul says this statement. You can put it up, Tom. And he is first in all things. I'll just read it to you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. Uh, one of the commentaries said, um, this is the way that we can know God because it's through him, in him, and for him. That's what Paul's praising here. Through him, in him, for him. He's first in all things. And see, a lot of times when I struggle in my relationship with God is because instead of it being from the perspective of through him, in him, for him, I think of it through me, in me, for me. Like for me. This is for me, right, God? And so Paul is saying like, if we're going to come to an understanding of who this God is, First, we need to acknowledge that it's through him, in him, for him, all to his glory. In theological terms, it's called Christology. It's this pursuit and understanding of Christ being first. It's the study of Christ. It's the knowledge of Christ. Christ is the foundation of everything that we are, that we do. It's what I said last week. 
And so he's saying that in this text, for in him all things in heaven and on earth are created. So he's talking about creation. I'm going to say something in a minute about this, but I'm going to skip over it because I want to touch something else. Um, it says after all of the creation, things visible and invisible, so things that we can see and, and not see. So he's starting to talk about the spiritual warfare elements of life. The things that we can see, the things that we can't see, the times that we feel oppressed and beaten down, the moments when we're like, this just doesn't make sense. And sometimes those moments can be thrones or dominions or rulers or powers that we can see visibly in our culture and society today. So we're talking about systemic issues in our midst. Like, I mean, and we become really aware of those systemic issues when the elections come in. As a pastor, it's very, very easy for me to point those things out by just saying, watch the news for a moment. Look at the things that we're arguing about. Look at the things that are important to us. It's not new news, but it drastically impacts the way that we live our lives, isn't it? We're talking about issues of abortion and systemic racism. We're talking about issues of, of should the government do this or not do this? I mean, right? And then we're tasked with this responsibility of somehow voting for these things and feeling so wholly ill-equipped to do so and so confused. And there's something to this. This is what Paul is writing about. Jesus is king over all of those things. All of, all of the structures and politics, he is king over it all. Furthermore, the spiritual things that we're trying to walk through, where we feel attacked and oppressed, he is over all of those things too. Now that doesn't mean that it's a process to walk through all of that. Now I look at my own personal life, and just to be vulnerable with you, one of the things I had to come face-to-face -face with last year was anxiety. I had to go, I had, it was anxiety. And that required of me, and it felt, and if you've ever experienced depression or anxiety or any of those things, you feel kind of squished together. And not like in the cute way that babies are all squishy, right? <laughs> like you just feel like you're being crushed by a press. And you feel like you can't get out of it. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And you just feel more and more crumpled. And it felt oppression. Like I felt that impression. And I knew while there was therapy that was going to be required and there was going to be medication that was going to be required, at the same time, I knew that there was a spiritual element that I couldn't understand that was at play. So as important as it was for me to go to a therapist and as important it was for me to get sleep and to eat healthy and to have Christine remind me a thousand times to drink water and to take medication and do all of those things, prayer was equally important. Because in the midst of all of those things that was physically going on, I needed somebody to say to me, Christ is king over these things too. And that's what I'm saying to you and that's what I read in this text as house of God, as a community of people, Christ is king over these things too. It's not just, it's not just, I mean, by all means, you know how I, where I stand when it comes to mental health and physical health and all those things. It's important that we have therapists. It's important that we have medication. I'm not saying that. 
But I'm also saying we hold it in the hand with Christ as king, all, of all, all those things. And that in the midst of our most devastating places, Christ is king. It doesn't change. He's unchanging. And that's, the, that's why Paul is writing to me a hymn of worship. I am king over all of these things. So it doesn't matter if you can see it or if you can't see it. It doesn't matter if it's uh, a throne or a dominion or a ruler or a power. He is first. Christ is king in all things. And so it continues. He himself is before all things, and in him all things are, are held. I'm going to say in past tense, but it's present tense too. All things are held together by him. Have you ever just had like a crazy day? Or you just feel like you're getting pulled apart. Frankly speaking, that was me today. I mean, I think I went through like six meltdowns with children before nine o'clock. <laughs> right? That's a normal day. And each one of those meltdowns, I'm like, I feel like there's less and less and less of me to give. And that's just one instance, but we all have meltdowns. We all have those moments where we're like, I can't take it anymore. And we feel so torn apart and pulled apart. And here's this promise. Before all of these things that we experience, he is first. No matter what we're going through, he is first. He's, it's, already, it's already past tense for him, even though it may be present or future tense for us. He's already before it, which is amazing. But then the other amazing thing is, and in him, all things, it doesn't say fall apart. Hold together. Like when we're at the brink of utter destruction, we have a Christ, a king, who is before it all and holding us together. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't experience pain or devastation or brokenness and all those, but somehow, and, and he holds us together. And, and you notice, there's, I'm sure, when I look around the room and I know the stories that we've journeyed through, there have been moments where we've just been on our knees, huh? Where we just don't have much left. And he somehow holds us together and brings us through. And we look backwards and we say, it, it was only Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that could hold us together. And then we start to see his sovereignty and his, his lordship over all of it which is really hard to see in the midst of it because we're going through our pain. But on the back end, when we look backwards and we say, oh, yeah, you were king <laughs> over that. You were first. And you met me as a king who's vulnerable in my vulnerability. So I'll go back. Give me two clicks, Tom. Um, so then... I said that I would revisit something. Verse 16 says, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. So he's talking about the creation process. And then it bumps down to verse 18. So he himself is before all things, and in him all things, are, are, all things hold together. Verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Um, no, you can, you can go back to that. Keep on going. Uh, go back, I'm sorry. Keep on going, back. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my fault. Sorry, Tom. 
I'm going to bring it back to here. We'll go forward from that point, sorry. Okay, so in this, at the beginning, when we were talking about 15 verses 15, 16, we're talking about the creative process. And I love this. This was from the Marianne Thompson wrote this, and it just, I'm still trying to process it. I don't feel like I could do, even do this justice, but it says, because Christ is the agent of creation, so he created, as the hymn said, he is also the agent of the recreation of the world. So he create and he recreates. And then this is where it just gets crazy for me. Human beings who are in the biblical thought created in God's image, pause, Genesis, remember, we are created male and female in his image, are now also recreated in Christ who is the perfect image of God. And why do I get weepy about that? Because in creation, it didn't just end there. We know that there was fallenness and there was brokenness and sin entered into the world. And so this image that we carry and that we bear apart from Christ is broken. And it, the story could have ended right there, broken. But in the midst of where the story could have ended, Christ comes in in his vulnerability, already knowing that he's fully suited for the task of death to life. And because of that, the last word isn't death, it's recreation, being made new. So I look around this room and I say that we're not a body of broken people, although we experience brokenness. We're a people that are recreated in the image of who? In Christ. Let me just declare and proclaim every single person in this room is an image bearer of Jesus Christ. That's great. That's scandalous. Like no matter what you're going through and how crappy of a day you've had and whatever sin that you're going through, in the midst of it all, we get to pause for a moment, hit the reset button and say, no, I've been recreated in the image of Jesus Christ. All things made new. It's not our work, it's his work. And who is he? The perfect image of God. Now let me be theologically clear, that doesn't make you gods. It just means that we get to be living reflections of the perfect image of God. So when you love, and when I love, who does that point to? It's not through me, in me, for me. It's through him, in him, for him. So when we love, it's through him, in him, for him pretty cool. Any act of worship through him, in him, for him. So Paul is proclaiming to the Colossian church, yeah, okay, and I almost, Paul's kind of sassy, so I kind of feel like he's writing this with like a sassy pen. It's like, really guys, like the, the false teachers and stuff like that? This is who God is, and he does it in a few short verses. I mean, it's beautiful what he's doing here. He is the head of the body of the church. And I, let me just go ahead and click again because I have the verses because I want you to follow along with me in this. Verse 17, this is where it starts. So it's not just 
that he created and then recreates. He recreates us into something, which is image bearers. But what does that image bearing look like? That's the important question. Because remember, some of the struggles that we have, especially as Westerners, and I know I'm speaking for all of us, for me, right, through me, in me, selfish, me, 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 right? So when he creates and then recreates, it's for something, and it's, what is that something? Well, I'll read this. Verse 17 says, he himself is before all things, so he's above it all, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in, like some of the stuff, right, in everything. So when we talk about the recreation process, let me just, I did a little image, and it's a silly little image, but it really helps me process this when I read these verses. So here's me and you as individuals. And it's very easy in our brokenness to say, through me, in me, for me. And then he says, no, I'm going to recreate you into my image. So suddenly these individuals become gathered. But it's not just like gathered without a purpose or without a shape or a form. What are we gathered into? The body of Christ. So it goes individual to somehow communal, back to individual. But who's the individual? Me and you? It's Jesus. We go singular to plural to singular. But the singular shifts to the body of Christ. And who is the head of the body? Christ. He's the head. So that doesn't mean that we don't have value and purpose as individuals, but our individuality is set in the context of a community. So, I mean, Jana and I, now this is what, the third time when I talk about the pinky toe? (laughs) We were talking one day about just to even walk, you need the pinky toe. You can ask her about it. I won't steal your thunder. But, but, but that's that part, an individual part that has an individual name that's an attached to an entire body. And it's so easy to lose sight of that. And it's even easier to realize that it's all about Jesus. And it's also really easy to forget that it's all about Jesus. It's about our posture. And so... So it's like Paul's really smart or something, and he understands that this is going to be hard for us to understand, especially because we're selfish. We're selfish. That's not a condemnation. That's reality. Like, that's how life is sometimes. And so it's in his wisdom that's clearly inspired by the Spirit of God, he says some more things, and this is the question that I asked, which was, How does he do this? How does he do this? Like Paul seems to know that it's going to be really hard for us to understand the headship and supremacy of Christ in our life, that he really is Lord over all things, and that we can look to him to see the hope that we're searching for, that that will be a struggle for us, because it is a struggle. So he speaks. I'll read verse 19 and 20, which is up there. How does he do this? How does Christ respond to this? Go ahead. You can put it up. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
by making peace through the blood of his cross. Let me just unpack this for a second. Jesus, in fullness, so fully man, fully human, fully God, hypostatic union, does it say like reluctantly willing to dwell? Like, oh gosh, I gotta, I gotta do this today. For in him all the fullness of God was what? Pleased, overjoyed. Like, let's do this to dwell. Pleased to dwell in vulnerability. Pleased to dwell knowing that his end would be death. And not like a so-so death, where he takes a sleeping pill and that's it. One of the most horrific, brutal deaths that you could possibly imagine. He was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was reluctantly willing. (laughs) No, he was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. He was pleased to reconcile us and our brokenness back to him. Whether on earth or in heaven. And how did he do this? And I'm going to bookend this. But where he told this story of this man who was like, what are you doing here? You're crazy. And why was he crazy? Because he was in the midst of a brutal, graphic, horrific war. That's why he was crazy. Because 80% of a company had died. And that's kind of emblematic of life, is death and brokenness and destruction. It's very easy to see those things. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus comes. And what does he do? He makes peace through the blood of his cross. He chose it. I mean, this is mind-boggling. And it's something I literally just thought of right now. He created the wood that he would hang on. Have you ever thought about that before? He knew that tree before the crossmakers knew that that would be a cross. That's, in, that's how intentional he was. And he was pleased to do it. There was pleasure in him to do that. Why? So this word of peace is the word shalom, wholeness that all of this death and destruction, it's not, it's not crazy that he would perpetuate the cycle of death and destruction. What does he do? It's crazy that he would bring peace by his own death and destruction. He became broken so that we may be made whole. You're not going to find anything else more scandalous than that. By making peace through the blood of his cross. So that's how he gathers us together. Is he says, I'm going to remind you over and over. And that's why we have communion. I'm going to remind you over and over and over again of my broken body and my shed blood so that you might live. So you might be gathered into a people and be made whole. That you could trust not just me, but these people to your left and to your right. And you can be vulnerable. That's what we get to be as the body of Christ. Not always easy. In fact, a lot of times it's really hard. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to be vulnerable with God. It's hard to be vulnerable with one another. 
But how did Paul start this? In the midst of vulnerability. You know, because we see Jesus. We can see his love. So when I look to you all, I see vulnerability, and, and I love that. I absolutely love that. I want us to lean more into the wholeness wrought through the blood of his cross. I want us to recognize more of the pleasure that God has in making us new creations. And I, I want to challenge us. Do we believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is above all things, before all things, and holds all things together? For his good. <laughs> For his good. I know that this is maybe a hard to grasp hold of, um, especially when we're in the midst of really difficult situations. Um, so maybe this morning we just need to dwell in the fact of verse 15. And maybe I can just look to scripture and find more clarity about who he is. Or maybe it's that he's holding all things together. Or maybe it's the wholeness and peace. Or maybe, maybe you've been going at all of this by yourself for too long. And maybe God surrounded you with people that can journey with you in vulnerability and carry that load with you. I'm where I am today because of people intentionally doing that for me. And I know that many of you are here today because of that same reason. So let me pray for this gathered body uh, and for our hearts. Um, God, we thank you um, for, for this text that we can look to and say that you are above all things and that you are um, so good and so faithful. And I thank you that you came vulnerably that you were the firstborn of all creation, but not just that, that you created, you were mindful of how you created, and you were mindful of how you recreate us and make us new. That death doesn't have the last word, resurrection does. And that we have hope that's unending. And so God, um, as we look to the mystery, I pray that we might find you in more intentional ways throughout the week. Um, I pray that, that where we have questions that haven't been answered for a long time, that we can see your presence, even if we just still don't have answers. Um, for those of us that are feeling anxious or sad or sorrowful or angry, um, that we can be vulnerable about that and have somebody uh, journey alongside of us in you. And God, I pray for House of God as a community. Um, there is so much noise that surrounds us. And I pray that we can really hone in on what you're saying to us as a people and how we can be uh, living manifestations of your love uh, to those around us in this space and outside of this space, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our relationships. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.